Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. This week, I am thrilled to be joined by Yara Heary from Life After Birth Psychology. Yara is a psychologist, a speaker, an educator, and a mother herself with a particular passion, professional passion for supporting mothers. We're going to talk all about her work, her uh, group coaching work, as well as the workshop she offers. Um, Under the banner, I've invited Yara to come in. We're going to talk about the ways that our family of origin impact and show up in our present day parenting, which is a big Mm. conversation. Cannot wait to jump into it. Yara, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) So nice to see you here. I mean, I did a little intro there, but perhaps you can tell for people listening, they're not already following Mm. you or familiar with your work. Tell us a bit about what you do. Yes, I'd love to. Um, Yeah, so I um, am a psychologist and I work with mums um and I like I've done quite a bit of work outside of that before kind of focusing in on this space so before I had my children I worked in drug and alcohol I worked in psychiatric wards um and in other private practice it was a bit more like general I guess in the scope um and then I had my son and uh thought I was so prepared (laughs) and thought that I had it down pat and uh, that I knew what I was doing and I knew what my life was going to look like and then I actually had my son and was like, what the actual hell? (laughs) Um, So um, just completely, completely had no idea actually what I was walking into, Um, really unprepared, had no idea about the types of conversations that I actually needed to have had leading into that so that I could, I don't know, have some grasp of the change that was coming um, both for me personally but also in terms of like my place in the world with my husband, with my friends, all of that sort of stuff, just really had no idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, in particular early on when I had my son, I had a lot of difficulty in my relationship with my husband Um, and so I started to look for, you know, what is out here? Like why I just sort of was really in this space of like, why didn't anyone tell me about this? Mm. Like, and I really was just mad about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started to look for what could be out there for resources in terms of like, there's got to be someone out there that's talking about this in advance. Like who's talking about this in advance, the change that happens and the challenges that you experience. And um, after some time, I found out about the Gottmans 
um, in particular with a work sh- like a workshop that they do called um, Bringing Baby Home, um, which was, oh, it was, it was exactly, and I just remember thinking, feeling so ripped off that I hadn't known about that in advance. And so basically it's a workshop. I spent some time today actually in my group talking about it. Um, it's a workshop for parents to be. Um, and in fact, you can take it at any time, but specifically for parents to be. Um, and it's basically an opportunity for you to look at all of the things that make you kind of who you are and what are the the likely problems that you're going to have when a baby comes along, like so communication, like intimacy, identity shift, like what to look out for, for mental health, like how to read your baby, like just fuck, like so much stuff that was just, you know, and I remember (laughs) thinking like, what? (laughs) You know. First of all, where was my invitation to that? Because I feel like that should be a central part of prenatal care. Like Totally. um, When we go so deep into prenatal care, which necessary, important and wonderful, of course, but Mm. never once was that factored into any of my pregnancies, (laughs) Yeah, especially the first one. Um, And yeah, no, you're right. I feel like mm. that is something that is just not talked about enough. So no. obviously you went seeking. Yeah. So then I, and at the time uh, I was, it, it was only offered overseas, like to actually do the, the training for it, to be able to run this workshop. And I was like, oh, damn, I'm going to have to fly to the States. That's what I was thinking, which, you know, is not a bad thing, but my child was very young at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just kept checking their website to see if anything happened. And then amazingly, about a year later, they um, there was some amazing ladies in Canberra who started running the educated training. Um, and so by the time I got to that, I was already pregnant with my second. Um, and I just remember, yeah, like just being so blown away, you know, at the stuff that I was learning and just thinking like, like why don't why don't people know this? Like they should be offering this at at hospitals and educate and like birth education, you know, services, you know, because what we do is we really prepare for the birth and we prepare for the labour and we prepare for all the fancy stuff that comes with having a baby, like the prams and the bedrooms and the cute outfits and all that stuff. And it's like that is just so irrelevant, (laughs) really. Like a baby could sleep in a cardboard box if it needed to, you know, like, (laughs) you know, or on a mother, which is really, you know, where, where they belong. But anyway, the point is, is that, we prepare so much for so much stuff that actually isn't the depth of what is about to happen for us, right? And birth is really important, so I don't want to take anything away from that. That's super important, mm-hmm. but it's not the it's not the end. It's just the beginning, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, so I did that and got really immersed in the Gottman's work, and then thought I I need to. I need to shift my business so that it's just focused solely in this space because it had been so meaningful for me to learn what I had learned. And then throughout that process, I just continued to go deeper and deeper into motherhood and matrescence and patriarchy and family of origin and all of this sort of stuff. And it was, oh, it was really powerful. And like, you know, I'm, I understand about the concept of the patriarchy of like now so deeply. Yeah. Um, back then, I really don't think I had, up until I became a mother, I just really didn't understand what the patriarchy actually looked like in my day-to-day life. And then I became a mother and I was like, I felt shackled by the culture that I lived in and the society that I lived in. And it was so um, suffocating to be within that. And so 
a lot of the work that I did then on in terms of educating my own reading and things like that was very much around that. Mm-hmm. And family of origin stuff's always been big on my radar because it's personal for me in terms of like my own family history and trauma that I have. Um, so that had always been a, a key part of the work that I had been doing anyway. Um, and so it was natural that obviously that just, I mean, in the context of what we're talking about today, that just sort of became more apparent, I guess, you know, um, for me personally, um, coming from a background where I was I was separated from my mother at very young. Oh, okay. I mean separated as in like never spoke to, never saw, never heard of again. Right, like right. 20, 21 years I think it was. Okay. And so then um, she had come back into my life when I was studying to do psychology. Um, and, you know, I've done and I had done lots of therapy and, and all of this sort of stuff up until that point and thought I, you know, shelved that, okay, dealt with that. <laughs> And then I became a mother. <laughs> it's just, and like, isn't that just the catalyst for blowing yeah. everything apart that we thought we knew about ourselves. Or, oh, man. oh my yeah. goodness, yeah. When you so speak, much. When you speak yeah. about your awareness and your consciousness, I suppose, mm. of patriarchy and um, yeah, the influence of our past experiences on the way we show up as parents mm. and in individuals, it's very that resonates very much with me as well. It was yeah. sort of always there on the periphery. You know, I'm someone mm. that likes to think about thoughts and why I mm. am the way I am, but it was really becoming a mother that blew that all up into technicolor and to the point yeah. that it needed to be dealt with. And, you know, there was no way through, um, yeah. no way over it. It was just through. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure you're familiar with the work of Dr. Sophie Brock. Do you know yes. her? Yes, yes absolutely. Her incredible yeah. work has been like oh, part of my own journey, you know, studying yeah. with her and learning about mm. that. So very much relate to what you're saying here yeah, for sure. Totally. And I think, you know, I think that we all, you know, we're so good at developing coping strategies. We are so incredibly good. And, and you know, when we have ex- experienced difficulty, challenge, even, you know, if we want to call it trauma, we can become so good at developing strategies that do keep us safe while we are experiencing that trauma, but that once we have left that environment those behaviors those coping strategies they continue even to our own detriment you know like and so that could even be very simply the behavior of avoidance right so um avoid you know the things that we fill our lives with to avoid actually having to um to deal with our feelings right and just how detrimental that is when we become mothers like so many mothers that I work with have this um, desire to be present for their children and like being able to tolerate their children's emotions and being able to, you know, basically allow their children to feel that anything is safe with them, but then they cannot, they can't do that for themselves, right? Because they haven't been taught that and because they've spent their whole life avoiding actually how to be present with their feelings. Yes. because maybe they were punished for it or maybe there was some other kind of negative consequence. They felt rejected if they really showed, you know, how they really felt, you know. And so and then they get to this stage in motherhood where they have, um, oh, sorry, um, and then they get to this stage in motherhood where they have an expectation of wanting to be conscious parents and respectful parents and they struggle so much with it, you know, and beat themselves up about it without really having the awareness that they actually need to do that for themselves first. Like we need to actually heal, you know, those those parts within ourselves that are still wounded from our own childhood experiences so that we can show up in our highest capacity as a mother in the present time. 
And sometimes I wonder if motherhood presents such a rich opportunity for this because, well, for me, my experience was I was very, very busy um, before becoming a mum, super Mm. what you'd call efficient. I loved a list and I was scheduled through choice, through my own Mm. doing, to within an inch of my days and then all of a sudden there were these vast expanses of time (laughs) where it was just me and the bub um, Mm. and a whole lot of, yeah, a whole lot of time essentially Mm. to be there with my thoughts and my struggles and um, the things that I wasn't particularly doing well that I thought I'd be better at and a whole lot of expectations. Um, Mm. So I wonder if that plays a part in it too, in addition, of course, to all the other changes that happen (laughs) when you become a mum. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think so because, yeah, it's not just simply, it's not simply that the job of of raising children and of seeing little people who remind you of yourself, so therefore you are reminded of your own experiences as a child. It's not simply that, but it's also that at that time you also have all this, you have a vast, a vast expanse of time in which to do the thinking about that, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but you know, if we've been doing a good job of avoiding up until then, we don't have the resources to actually deal with that, right? We don't, we haven't, we may not have experienced some of those feelings before, so we don't know what to do with them. And we think that maybe we can be led to believe because of our culture and things like that, that that means there's something wrong with us, right? So like if we struggle to enjoy all parts of motherhood or if we struggle to bond or if we experience anger and and rage and things like that, we can start to feel that this is um, indicative of something being intrinsically wrong with us, right, and really enter this shame space when really, you know, it's probably because, A, we live in a culture that doesn't support um, vulnerability Mm -hmm. um, and, B, you may have grown up in a household which didn't support vulnerability, right, that didn't teach you that it was safe and that it was okay for you to have any of your emotional emotions rather, that it was um, that your parents would be there to hold that space for you, that you could be safe to just completely let go and really be held in that space. And it's through doing that with our caregivers that we actually learn how to regulate ourselves, right? So we um, we learn through the process of co-regulation and I really mean that in terms of um, of nervous systems and that's another level of this family of origin stuff, right? So what was the what were the nervous systems like of the people who raised you? Were they people who were able to have flexible nervous systems, right? So, okay, they experience challenge but then they can return back to a lovely, nice green baseline or were they people who were stuck in that fight or flight space, right? And so that then influences how they engage with you as a child, mm-hmm. um, how they deal with your big emotions, whether they can deal with those big emotions, or were they um, alternatively were they stuck in that um, that freeze response, right? So like flat and you know um, very, which makes it difficult to to have strong attachment sometimes with a caregiver when yeah. you know we know that in terms of research so responsiveness of the fa- of facial cues and things like that so um so that's super important to recognize and i think that that's another level you know in the group that i run the rebirth we talk about that in terms of nervous system kind of priming right like how are we imprinted from the families that we come from so what is the what is the path of least resistance for our nervous system. So if we are brought up in a family where there is a lot of, um, you know, there's anxiety or tension um, or of shutting down of emotions and things, like we're likely to kind of learn to do the same thing. And then that makes it really hard for us to actually show up as a conscious parent, um, you know, in many ways for our own children. And then we can end up in a cycle where we, 
you know, really beat ourselves up about that. So what I'm really passionate about is actually helping women understand that, um, you know, let's have a look at your childhood. Like, tell me about what's happened for you. What kind of family did you come from? What did you have your needs met, right? Like, and I'm talking about, we've got our basic needs of like shelter and, and food and, um, and safety, like physical safety, but also like emotionally, right? Like, did you feel safe and held and seen? Mm. And I can't tell you how many people did not experience that. Mm. You know, it's massive. The number of of women, or the number of people in general who just did not expect, uh, experience emotional safety in their yeah. childhood, right? Yeah. It's huge. And so, you know, then that really we need to understand that and we need to do the work then in order to provide those those child vulnerable parts of ourselves with a feeling of safety now. So we can't go back in time, but we can still provide healing and that that felt sense of safety for those inner parts that we still have within us. Mm-hmm. And so when we do that, then we can show up in the present moment, not responding through the eyes of the hurt inner child, right, mm-hmm. but through the eyes of the inner child that, that knows it can be cared for by the inner parent as well, right, and we can yeah. deal with that and then we can also be present without any of that, well, with less of that influence. I would say that if you've got that kind of background, it's likely that it's always going, it's always going to be there but you're going to be really conscious and intentional about how you work with that, right. So, yeah. um, and, and that's also to say that, that people who have that are not damaged in any way. Like we all have experienced some kind of trauma in some kind of way throughout our lives. It's about having the resources to be able to manage that. And, in fact, I think that um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful skill to actually be able to to do in front of our children so that they can learn how to do that too. Right. Definitely, because they're humanists in this world. Yeah. It means that they are going to have things go on Absolutely. for them too. Yeah, Mary, I think I think it's so wonderful that there's professionals like you talking about this and offering mm. obviously support through your your offerings as well. Because I wonder how many mums out there find themselves tripping through that cycle of wanting mm. to be conscious, present. You know, the the mum they want to be mm. falling short for whatever reason because it's mm. you know de- well we know why because it's yeah. deeply ingrained these things and mm. then like you said, blaming themselves, looking for, you know, just mm. not being able to sort of piece together that it's that healing work first for themselves yeah. that can then lead to the, you know, it's a natural consequence that, yeah, those, yeah. that parenting is is there. Absolutely. I mm. wanted to ask you, I know sometimes just from speaking to people, um, people will say, you know, oh, I had my childhood was great. You know, mm. there's no, I haven't had a, a, a terrible car crash or mm. I wasn't a victim of abuse or, you know, I can't pinpoint a a trauma as such. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what's going on with that? Like, can you talk to that a little <laughs> uh, bit? Yeah, I would say that almost every single client I've ever had, not just in the motherhood space. Okay. Apart from people who I saw in psychiatric wards that, you know, had very, very, very severe levels of dysfunction. Um, I would say that almost everyone that I have seen has starts off by saying that, they're like, yeah. oh, it was great. You know, like one of the things that I often ask clients when I first meet them is describe your mother to me in five words and describe your father to me in five words, which is, you know, interesting to hear how people describe their parents. Um, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And... What I notice is that most of the way that people describe their parents is is a very a very balanced, like, yeah, they were a good person, right? But then when I start to inquire about, like, so did you feel seen? Were you allowed to have your own boundaries? Were you allowed to express pe- preferences? What was your level of autonomy? Was it respected? Um, when you were sad, could you go to them? When you did something wrong, could you go to them? Um, you know, when we really start to unpack that, like the answer to many of those questions is no. Yeah. Um, And, you know, one of the things I also find is that eventually I start to talk about those experiences as potentially being kind of attachment traumas or, um, you know, childhood kind of traumas. And people can sometimes be quite taken by the word trauma because, yeah, when we similar, I I guess what you're getting at there is that when people are talking about bad childhoods, they're thinking about people that have experienced, you know, childhood abuse, like sexual abuse or physical abuse or, um, you know, really awful kind of traumas, which, you know, in the therapy space we might talk about those as big T traumas, right? Um, but one, what I am really interested in is obviously that those things are relevant, but what I'm interested in is what we talk about as being like little T traumas. So the kind of um, more insidious, repetitive type of traumas that we experience. So, And, and this is essentially about not being seen right mm-hmm. and I think that for women in particular there's a there's a difference there's a how do I describe it there's a special kind of not being seen because it's not just in our families but it's also in our culture as well yeah. so it's not simply and you know this is to some degree what people talk about as being like the the mother wound mm-hmm. um and you know which is that, yes, our families are perpetuating that because our families are raised within these cultures as well, which really um, minimise the value of women mm-hmm. um, and the value of women's voices and of women's emotions and, you know, their anger and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. People often say that they don't, that nothing has happened. And I'll say, um, you know, in the group, I think that this is one of the places where I see how powerful the work that I am doing and that this work in general is for people because I get to see it in the context of a group of women at the same time rather than just on individual level with one-on-one clients. And what I see is um, so many of them, you know, I'm thinking I've got faces of people in my mind as I'm saying this, like so many of them start off in the group not really like kind of going like, I feel like there's some stuff to work on but not really having an idea of how deep it really runs and, And when we get into the, the the weeks where we cover that content, really just being like, wow, like I had no idea how profound the impact has been in my on my life of these things that I have experienced, you know. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that also, you know, that really speaks to I think again on a cultural social kind of level. Um, 
you know, the sort of patriarchal culture that we live in, which is very much like not focused on really attending to the emotional needs of individuals, but much more focused on the output and the goal orientation of, of what we're doing and the, and the productivity. Yes. And, you know, when we talk about the patriarchy, we're really talking about a, a very, a very strong masculine focus, which is really, you know, when we're talking about masculine and feminine, and I don't mean this in terms of gender, uh, sorry, in, in terms of sex even, I'm really talking about um, like in terms of energies that propel us forward, that move us forward. So masculine being very goal-focused, very there's a lot of tension involved in that. There's a lot of like suppression of emotion because if we don't do that, we can't actually be goal-focused, right? Yes. So yeah. many of you that may be listening are like, you know, when you have a goal or a deadline or something, you kind of have to push other things to the side so you can get it done, Right. And I think because we're raised in a culture that really values that type of functioning, it means that um, we go through this ex- these experiences in our childhood, but to just get on with life and get on with being successful or whatever it might be, we find ways of actually suppressing being present with those experiences yeah. and those emotions, you know. And at the same time, like the fact that the, the fact that our parents may do things or behave in ways that mean our emotional needs are not being met and validated, it doesn't make them bad people, right? Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't make them bad people. They are likely to have been doing the best that they could, like many of us are doing in our own parenting. Yes. So there is, you know, what I often say to people is like, take the time that you need to grieve what you didn't have. Mm-hmm. And then to be angry about what you didn't have and the impact that that has had. Yep. And eventually you'll get to a point where there is forgiveness as well because, you know, one of the things we need to realise is that these are cycles that we are all in and so our parents likely are in their own cycle. So, you know, what was their parenting like and what was their parent nervous systems like and, you know, um, you know so yeah. if we're thinking generationally and, and how far we've come in our understanding of children even yeah. and in terms of their inner world, you know, it is it has come a very long way in a short amount of time and oh. so where our parents were raised in the spaces that they were raised in and then culturally, obviously, depending on what culture that was in, um, you know, when we talk about it like that, I think you can really bring compassion to who your parents were and who they may still continue to be because some yeah. of many of our parents really just don't have the insight and probably will never have the insight yeah. um, that we may have now. Um, you know, so we can have forgiveness about it and we can still love our parents and we can still, you know, have uh, meaningful relationships with our parents while still um, enforcing boundaries that keep us safe, right, yes. and protect our well-being. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I think I love that no blame, no shame sort of mm. approach to this and none of us are immune to the systems within which we live. Yeah. And so rec- like you say, recognising that um, for our parents or caregivers, whoever they might have been, mm. it just opens up so much space for compassion to be like, oh, mm. I see, I see, and I would hazard a guess to say that there wasn't a whole lot of conversation like this happening in the time that my oh. my mum was raising me. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I love Absolutely. that you raised that. Yeah. Mm. And One I thing- love how you said about, self, about compassion because I think also when we can give that to others as well, it makes it easier for us to to you know, place back on ourselves because we're yes. going to make mistakes as parents. Like yes. we will likely do things that 
that upset our children, that hurt our children, that may even cause trauma for our children. Yes. But we need to be able to have compassion um, be, and, you know, recognising when those things happen, having compassion for ourselves and then doing repair where it's needed as well within those relationships. Yeah, so, for me personally yeah. that was such a big thing, being able to, um, you know, truly have compassion for others mm. um, really was the the most, uh, the biggest breakthrough I suppose to then being able to to shine that back on myself as well yeah. in all, all my things. So it's so mm. true. You touched on there um, that part of this experience as we are, um, you know, raising our consciousness, I'll say, mm. around all of this work is, for me too, in motherhood, anger comes up. Mm. And I remember, I'll never forget the impact of it. I saw this incredible, I think it was a reel you did or a post on your Instagram mm. where you actually um, had yourself, you know, in a display of of getting your anger out and it was mm. so incredible. I watched it on repeat. I showed my girlfriends. I showed my husband mm. because the point you're making is anger doesn't need to be something we need to be afraid of and mm. there there is healthy anger that can be channeled and expressed and, and understood. And yes. I think in motherhood this is such an important conversation. So mm. can, we, can we just talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I love talking about anger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, um, I, I had so, I had such a wonderful response to that video. And, you know, like it was one of those things where I was like, I really, I, one of the things that I really want to do is, is obviously support women through this space, but also show people, I think it's really powerful when you as a therapist or as a practitioner actually are walking the talk, that you are actually doing these things that you are asking others to do as well and showing them that it is safe, right, mm-hmm. and that, that the path has been travelled before them by the person who is guiding them. I think that's really, really important. I really value that. Yeah. Um, and so I w- had a workshop coming up for anger and I thought I really want to do this video. And it was like really like a very vulnerable thing to do, but I was like I'm going to have to do it because I want to show people that it's safe. So just suck it up. <laughs> so, so, so I did brave. this video. Yeah. And um and I had such an amazing, amazing response to it. And I had so many people sending me messages just saying, thank you so much, because if you, you, it's given me permission to actually be angry, to express that. And to like, I feel like anger for mothers is so pathologized. Like, yes. I hate the term mum rage. Like, I hate it because it's just anger. It's just rage. We are a mother who's experiencing that. Yeah. And, um, and I feel like it, it, it buys into, I think, when we t- when we call it mum rage, it I just feels like it's attached to the pat- the patriarchal standards mm-hmm. of motherhood, which involve that mothers don't get angry, yep. you know, and so therefore when they do get angry, and we talk about it as mum rage, it's really bad anger, you know, and it's just like no, it's just anger, mm. and I really and I just feel like mothers have so much to be angry about. <laughs> There is yeah. like there is so much oppression and disadvantage and injustice for us as mothers and especially for women who come from marginalized groups and I feel like you know if we if we can't be angry like where the hell is that anger going you know and what happens is it goes into our families it goes yeah. into our parenting and it goes into, you know, and I feel like we need to be able to, A, speak about the things that we're angry about, but we also really need like somatic practices, I think, to actually process anger in our bodies as well. And, you know, the nervous system functioning is a, is a large part of the work that I do because it's also, it's really relevant to trauma. Yeah. Um, and, you know, understanding that, you know, so feeding back into family of origin actually is that we can off, we can also have a lot of like 
repressed anger that we've been holding for a long time. I mean, when you think about growing up in a patriarchal society, right, where we are conditioned to disconnect from our bodies and disconnect with our emotions and all of that sort of stuff, there's there's going to be a lot of anger in there, right? And especially if we've had that those values perpetuated, I guess, and reinforced in our families, there's going to be anger about things that we didn't have. Like there's going to be a part within us that feels angry about what we did not receive. And so that's one of the things I talk about in that workshop actually that, um, you know, there's anger coming from so many different things, right, like from repressed sort of anger from our childhoods, then there's just like anger about the injustice of the the situation that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. I watched this reel this morning which was brilliant um, where, it was like she was essentially saying something about, you know, when what I think when people say, oh, but you you signed up for this, right, like in terms of when you're you're angry or, you know, disappointed or whatever, and it was then all the list of things that she didn't sign up for that came with me and I'm just like, fuck, this is great. Like, yes. Was that um, Libby from Diary of an Honest Mom? Yes, that's the one. I love her. She is the master of like, simplifying so all the things we're thinking and feeling yeah. and just being like, here's a reel that neatly packages this yes. up for you. Oh, I love her content. It was so good. I was like, I was like screaming watching it, just like, <laughs> fuck yes. yes. Like, you know, um, and it was just brilliant. And we, I talked about that in the group that we had. We had our group call today. I talked about it as well because it's just like, yeah, we didn't sign up for this. Yeah. You're like, I think, and going back to what I said earlier about like, um, so many of us never had those conversations in the first place anyway. So when we signed up, you know, quote, unquote, um, for being a mother, we thought we were signing up for like lots of support, our husbands staying home or whatever, like babies that slept all night, you yeah. know, no breastfeeding problems, not having birth trauma. You yeah. know, that's what we thought we were. We thought we were signing up for the fantasy of yeah. motherhood. That was right? the contract I signed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So then when we get there and it's like, oh, shit, like this is nothing. And then people say, well, that's what you signed up for. It's like, no, 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 no. And I love that. And so, you know, bringing that back to anger, I think I certainly resonate with having so much anger about that because I'm just like, this is not what you sold me. Like, and when I say you, I mean like society and my culture and everything. This is not what you sold me. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like everything was going to be great and, and like what a lie. This is, you know, <laughs> yeah. So I think that there's there is so much anger about that and I think that the more women can learn to actually be okay with their anger and know that anger is not something to be afraid of. It's something that we can we can use our anger to enact change. That's one of the things that we can do. But also the anger that we feel it it is holding messages for us. Mm. Oftentimes the message for many mothers is you are completely off track with looking after yourself. Yeah. Like you are completely off track with you have no boundaries, right? You've got um, permeable boundaries. Like you, you're you too flexy with other people. Like you're giving too much of yourself. You, you are not holding anything back for you. Yes. And I think that we have to, if we are afraid of our anger so we're trying to repress it all the time, then we're not able to to tune into that message, right, and then to do the work that is required, which is like, okay, let's go and have a look at your hierarchy of needs. 
What are you addressing right now? What's the what's the most basic thing, the level up that you can then start to address, right, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. How can we rebalance the situation for you? But if we're not tuning into that anger, then we can't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also if we're not tuning into the anger and we're really suppressing that, we're going to be having so many physical things that happen for us as well. So a suppressed yes. anger relates to disease it relates to you know heart disease it relates to um to um stress chronic stress and things like that like there is so there's so much going on here and I just think you know for that reason it's like a health issue like anger is really just another emotion right and at the end of the day what I want people to understand is that we need to be able to feel comfortable even if that means giving ourselves permission if no one else will to express all of our emotions, right, and not in ways that are careless and that cause harm to others but in a way that um, is appropriate for the situation that we're in. So, for example, and I just want to make this point that if I'm feeling really ragey and stuff with my kids, I want to be able to notice that at some point and actually do the thing, I ne- do what I need to do. So that might mean I have to like, okay, I really need a break today. So I'm going to just put on a they're going to have a bit more TV today so that I can take a little bit of extra time and I'm going to go do breath work yeah. or I'm just going to go sit outside and ground myself or I'm yeah. going to call a friend out there. I'm going to do something like that. And then when they're in bed, I'm going to have my rage out and I'm going to get it out, right, or I'm going to shake or I'm going to do a, maybe a longer session of breath work or whatever it is that needs to happen. And then I'm going to, like, try and recalibrate my life mm-hmm. to say, how do I prevent this from happening in the future? Okay, I need more regular time to see my girlfriends. Yeah. I need to go, like for me, I just re-signed up to a dance class because I fell off with that, right? Amazing. So I'm going to go into a dance class amongst other women. Yeah. I'm going to um, try and organise a date night or whatever it is. Like, you know what I mean? Like we yeah. have to have a, a process for how we address the anger. So we don't just want to be stuck in the place of like getting angry, expressing it all the time and just staying there. Like we need to do the next steps involved as well, which is, okay, what's the message? The message is this is what's fallen off. How do I get help and support around that? Then there's boundaries involved in that and, and, you know, things like that. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, we can't do that, though, if we just deny our anger. Mm. So So valuable, so valuable. And I think I would argue that probably doing this work, um, Mm. thinking about it, putting into play, like you said, recognising anger to be a signal that something's Mm. something's gone off track in a way that's not healthy or good for you, Mm. it means that we're less likely to resort to inappropriate displays of anger or anger that we regret later, sorry, because it's taken out on you know, people or ended in a yelling or whatever mm. it may be. So I really, yeah. really think when we can reframe and look at our anger in this way, and like mm. you say, it's sort of ironic because, you know, anger, like you said, mum anger mm. or mum rage is pathologised, but if there's something, if you're not angry, it's almost like that's more like, well, what's going on? The fact that you're mm. not pissed off about all of this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, so yeah. really valuable, really Yeah, valuable. definitely. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think I just wanted to say like, you know, if people – aren't angry I mean there's lots of different things obviously everybody has got different situations like I know I know women who have very different like living situations which mean that they do have a lot more support their partners have a lot more flexibility with being present and things like that so some women may just have um, situations that provide more support and maybe they have more nurturing kind of backgrounds in terms of their family of origin and things like that so which is so beautiful and like that, that, that's a dream right yeah um it's wonderful, but I think, um, yeah, like I think for for other for women who do have that, I think 
it's yeah, it's just so so powerful. One of the things that's really on my mind is like I just really want to do like a retreat, mm-hmm. which is an anger release one, where we actually um, do a bunch of somatic releases for that, which actually like in that video, you know, I'm punching this pillow and really raging, like roaring basically. And you couldn't really hear it obviously because I had music overlaid in the video, but it was actually, it was like birthing roar. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah. it's like that really guttural. And I'm like, where do we, where do, why does anyone have a place where they can do that? Right. Yeah. And like, I really, so that's one of my things that's on my radar is like in the, in the future, hopefully within this year, I really would love to create an opportunity for people to come together and actually really share an expression of anger and get comfortable with that. So I look forward to seeing that come to life because I think (laughs) it would be all kinds of magic. I mean, permission slip like that handed to you. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yara, I'm conscious of time because I know you're on school run today. Um, Perhaps we've touched on a few things here, but perhaps Mm. um, could you share with people, I know you have your group program um, Mm. and of course you run, you have an anger workshop too. Could you just tell us a bit more about your offerings and where people can find you? Yeah, definitely. Um, So you can find me on Instagram and my um, handle is Life After Birth Psychology um, and my website is www.lifeafterbirth.com dot com dot au um, and I do run a group called the rebirth which is a nine week um, coaching container and it's g- generally within about 15 women um, at a time um, and that runs for nine weeks and in that it's basically an unpacking of you know our cultural social cultural influences our family of origin um, and then we do quite a bit of work on reparenting um, the kind of the inner children that we may have within us um, in order to show up, you know, in our kind of highest capacity. It's really, it's really a program where women come to kind of rediscover themselves. That's really what that's about. And to, and to move away from influences in their life that to date have been present and have really hindered them from growing. That's really what that space is about. Um, and we do anger within that workshop. Um, there's work on the inner critic, um, values, you know, all of this sort of stuff. You can find more information about that on, I'm trying to think if it's on my website. In my On my Instagram, I think you can click the link and you can go to the, um, the wait list for that so you can see more info on that. Um, and then I also do have a anger workshop, which is really thorough. So it's like a four-hour um, workshop that you can do self-paced. So I did run that live originally. Okay. Um, and that involves like lots of kind of ed, so education on what anger is, where it comes from, on a, also on a, um, on a physiological level. So, you know, like what's actually happening in the brain for us um, when we become angry. Yeah. Um, and what's happening in the nervous system. So a massive part of the way that I work is is understanding nervous system health. Mm. Um, and so that's a huge part of the rebirth as well. So the, the whole first week is about setting up practices that are going to help regulate our nervous system and we use breath in that. So there's a lot of a big breath work component. Yeah, um, yeah so that's the anger workshop which is available um, I think from the links also, I need to update a few things in the links on my Instagram page. Um, And there's also, I do also have like a um, relationships course, which is uh, an hour. So it's not too long with a workbook. And that's basically around helping couples in this parenting space to, um, to redefine their friendship at this time so that they've got a solid foundation that they can kind of weather the storm of mm-hmm. parenting. And so that's actually a section. It's it's 
basically inspired from a section of the Gottman Bringing Baby Home workshop, which is a much larger one. It's like 12, 13 hours of content. So this is one section um, that I've taken and kind of revamped a bit um, to fit um, in a more shorter space of time. Um, So people can check that out on my website too. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And I can't stress enough if, if this conversation today has resonated with you or piqued your um, interest in, you know, exploring a little bit more about your own experiences in mothering or why you are the way you are, having a professional support mm. you through those explorations to prompt you and guide you and facilitate you as you work through it. There is there is no substitute for that. So oh, there really st- isn't. You know, we have this <laughs> we have this way of thinking that we should know we should yeah. have it figured out on our own and it's just a, a fallacy so I would definitely yeah. encourage you to pop over to the website check out those programs they sound incredible thank you oh so before I let you go I have to ask mm. because I ask all of the guests that come on Yara mm. um is there a book you've read that's, that mm. and it can be related to anything but that has you know impacted your life or changed you in some way and can you tell us about it oh, oh there's so many I, there's I've like I'm just the worst I'm such a bookworm I didn't always used to be like this but it's like out of hand like it's actually out of hand <laughs> I have a I understand I have a pile of books to be read and it's ridiculous yeah. because I could live till I'm 150 and I'll never yeah. get through them all but they're there exactly so and I, you know what I'm so grateful for I'm so grateful for audiobooks so I'm like an audible oh, okay I call myself like an audible file or something like I'm just obsessed with audible so I have you know I have so many books on the go and it's great because I just drop in and out of them um I'll tell you about a book that I read recently which I which I found so powerful and had been on my list for a very long time and it's really not a very long book um and that is um women who run with wolves uh and I'm trying to remember the author I feel like it's Clarissa can't remember her name it is okay I'll lead to it oh my god like it's like a warm hug. I will also say that it's a book you you need to be ready for this book. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um it's basically it's written by this psychoanalyst um and she talks in like she basically uses folk tales and stories and myths to describe what is happening for the modern woman in today's culture and in today's society. So like the shackling of the woman. And so she's talking about women who run with wolves. She talks about the wild woman. So the woman in her natural state Mm. and what it looks like to be a woman in the natural state of freedom of expression Mm. um, and of, of truth and what it is like to be standing in your own voice. And it is, it's just so beautiful. Like I just loved it. I felt like I was just wrapped up in this, loving warmth listening to the book and I just promised myself I will read it every single year from now on it's taken me forever to get to it the audiobook is actually read by her which is just oh, so lovely like it. when you listen yeah. to audiobooks read by the authors it's brilliant yeah so you can listen to that on audible and it it was um like it it just you know when you read books and it's like things that you've been feeling or thinking but never able to articulate and yes. she just did that so beautifully and it was like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. yes, all right, yeah. yeah. And it was it's like. For me. <laughs> yeah, it was just beautiful. So if you haven't read that book, it really, I think it's like just over three hours or something like that as an audio book and it was just brilliant, Amazing. brilliant. And it was not parenting related. Yeah. It's for women. It's mm. for women to understand you know, I dare say the plight of women, but, but, you know, also stuff in there about like what to do, like beautiful prompts to reflect 
if you find yourself in the situations that she's talking about, you know, like really beautiful. Oh, yeah. what an endorsement. Okay, well, mm. I'm off to order that, so thanks. Yes, <laughs> and I will link to it in the show notes for anyone that's listening to this on the go as well. No worries. Yeah, let me say thank you so much. I, I personally have taken away so much from this conversation and I know that so many of the people listening will too. So thank you for your for generosity of your time and your wisdom. It's truly, truly a wonder. So thank oh, you. no worries. Thank you so much for having me. I love chatting with you. Okay, <laughs> bye. See you. Bye. Thanks for joining me and listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this content and are looking to dive deeper into the support that the Kind Parenting Company offers parents and caregivers, you will love the range of programs we have available. The range includes online programs for supporting baby and toddler sleep, most suitable for babies aged 0 to 24 months, and also Toddler Life, which is a guide for those raising children aged 2 to 4 years. Each program comes with access to video and audio files, as well as the opportunity to join the community forums. Podcast listeners receive 20% off all programs. Simply visit the Kind Parenting Company website and use the code KPCPODCAST20, that's KPCPODCAST20, at checkout. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.